This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by our Africa and LNG editor, Ed Reed, and our Asia-Pacific editor, Damon Evans. Delighted to be back after a week or so off. Thankfully, nothing of importance happened during that time. No big news stories, no big moving trucks, you know, outside 10 Downing Street. Right, guys? Not heard anything about that? Um, so, so yes, yes, we have a, another PM in number 10, Rishi Sunak. Former Chancellor of the Exchequer, taking over from Liz Truss. I was uh, I was at a wedding last week in Mexico, uh, and I must say, Ooh. you know, yes, tequila sunrise in hand on the beach, scrolling through the news. I was just like, thank fuck, I'm not, I'm off and not having to to deal with this in terms of reporting. Um, but yeah, uh, new PM in charge. He's already been making uh, some changes, a few things to dig into. Um, but between the upcoming COP twenty seven conference. Uh, his first Prime Minister's questions and the ongoing discussions around uh, windfall tax, our old friend. Um, energy has, be- has been quite a prominent subject um, for Rishi Sunak's first week in charge. So this podcast probably isn't the place to talk uh, markets more broadly and interest rates and the like, though clearly uh, businesses, including energy firms, prefer stability, which I think it's fair to say has not been uh, the name of the game for the UK government of late. Um, and while Sunak may well be viewed as a firmer hand on the rudder, perhaps. Um, there's already been some you know, policy reversals. Um, reintroduction of a ban on fracking in England uh, took some of the headlines this week. Uh, Liz Truss uh, lifted that ban just a month or so ago, much to the praise of, uh, funnily enough, onshore fracking firms in the UK. Um, and unless we get another PM in number 10, uh, I think this ban will probably endure. Uh, Sunak said he's He's backing the 2019 Conservative Manifesto pledge on this. Let's not forget, of course, that just a week ago he voted against uh, a Labour motion to ban fracking. Um, so, you know, he, he backs the 2019 Conservative Manifesto, but just not enough to support a Labour vote on it, it would seem. But there we are. Um, Sunak also um, asked to lift a ban on new onshore wind in England, which he declined to do, despite it being uh, a cheap form of energy in the UK. I suppose from an oil and gas perspective, though, uh, many will remember, of course, his, his time, his recent time as Chancellor for implementing the windfall tax, which remains very much in the public consciousness uh, this week. Uh, Shell and other oil majors have been reporting more big results, big profits, um, and that comes as we will have the, the autumn budget next month, and there's been a lot of talk about tough decisions ahead, uh, and will we face another windfall tax? Well, so a couple of points there. Uh, Shell told media yesterday that they avoided paying the levy uh, in Q3, despite um, huge profits, um, and that's due to investment incentives linked to the tax in the North Sea. Uh, And The Telegraph has been reporting that Sunak, uh, alongside his new Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, they're seeking to plug this multi-billion pound uh, fiscal gap uh, and that may well lead to an expansion of this uh, windfall tax, whether that be uh, an increase in the levy or expanded to include um, renewable energy generators. Uh, Notably, Downing Street has said nothing's off the table uh, ahead of this uh, budget on November 17th, which is the same uh, kind of rhetoric we had in advance of the original uh, windfall tax some months ago. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, we'll obviously be keeping a very close eye. Um, so I guess if, if you're an energy executive, guys, 
Are you happier now that Rishi Sunak's in charge? Are you sad, indifferent? Do you just want a general election? Uh, and what's your money on in terms of uh, of windfall tax? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it makes it makes sense, obviously, politically to kind of reconsider the the, the windfall tax, doesn't it? I mean, I think you know, executives, as as uh, Ben Van Burden sort of acknowledged, you know, that there is that sort of. There's a drive and there's a kind of a need to kind of pay uh, perhaps perhaps more. But I, I mean, I think in a way, like the fracking question is even more interesting. I think, you know, the way in which uh, Liz Truss's government really struggled to, uh, you know, get the, uh, the, the the vote through on fracking, you know, with some really extraordinary reports about uh, kind of marshalling, uh, kind of physically corralling uh, MPs to, 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 to vote in the right way. Um, you know, it does seem to be like a, a kind of pretty much the beginning of the end for, for, for Liz Truss. And I think it's, you know, and, and it, it seems like obviously it's a kind of a real hot button issue. But at the same time, it, it feels quite kind of marginal right mm. I, mean, I think it's not like there are that many companies queuing up to uh, go ahead and you know frack various parts of the countryside given those kind of societal challenges but it just seems to be one of those things those ways in which politicians prove that they are or aren't listening to uh, people and their own mps in many ways and i feel like the, the the windfall tax is another instance of that i think at a point when we're going into winter and it's going to be a hard winter um in terms of sort of energy prices to an extent at least you know and obviously you know the the you know the bill uh, the bill fix coming to an end in april and thinking ahead to, to to next winter when it seems quite likely we will still have the same government unless something really catastrophic happens it just feels like uh, there's a sort of a political reckoning and it, it it feels like you know giving the energy industry a bit of a walloping uh, is going to play well with people. So I I struggle to to to, to see kind of uh, much uh, much positive for uh, for oil and gas at least politically. It, it's kind of interesting because we we have actually had companies like Shell and and indeed Equinor who report the results today as we record, uh, saying. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially saying yes, we get we get it. This is a fact of life now, um, and essentially backing further uh, levies um, it seems to be that they're kind of recognising um, that they have these astonishing profits and uh, uh, accepting that 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 might merit um, further taxes. I, I, I know that the trade body um, has been. OEUK has been pretty quiet on on windfall tax of late as as a consequence of of perhaps those kinds of overtures. Um, Damon, what, how do you view this uh, this farce um, of the UK government's uh, revolving door from 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 your side of the world? Well, obviously, it's quite distant for me. Um, I think the key word was uncertainty. Everything just seems to keep changing. I think um, I think I read in one of your articles that the energy secretary, you're on the fifth since 2019. Um, it reminds me of an emerging market, um, you know, not a developed economy. And the, you know, how can people invest in that kind of environment? I don't know. Um, I'm sure they do. It just it just still seems very uncertain, unpredictable. How can businesses function um, regarding taxes? I presume. You know, the high energy prices, I would imagine, are here to stay for several years, maybe maybe longer. How are politicians going to deal with that? They're going to try and ease the pain for the people. Where mm. are they going to get that money from? Like you guys say, it looks like they're going to tax the energy companies, etc. It doesn't seem to be that they're going to be, 
you know, looking at any pragmatic way, I suppose, my personal opinion to solve the energy crisis. But, you know, I'm, I'm very distant. It just looks very uncertain. Um, yeah, bonkers, really. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it as any, I think. Yeah, um, I, I guess we should pour out a, a glass for Jacob Rees-Mogg, the, 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 the not long former business and energy secretary uh, who's been replaced by uh, the former transport secretary, Grant Shapps. Um, as you say, Damon, I think, yeah, it, it might it probably is about our fifth since 2019 um, in terms of energy ministers. Yeah, uh, it's it's certainly been a, another kind of revolving door. Um, and another quick thing we should mention um, that's been in the headlines this week. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion of climate emissions um, and uh, the world's use of fossil fuels with uh, reports from the likes of the IEA. Um, and it was... Uh, Revealed yesterday that uh, Rishi Sunak would not be going to the COP27 conference in Egypt. Um, everyone will recall, of course, the 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 well the profile of COP26 in Glasgow last year, um, and and how important that was um, or perceived to be. Um, interesting, especially I think um, you know the countries I think were obliged to return to to COP27 with updated targets. There was. I think it's fair to say a, a perceived failure in in some regards um, to the outcomes of COP26 uh, in getting us to where we need to be uh, in terms of climate emissions. I think uh, I, I think it speaks a lot to how things have changed in the last twelve months too. Um, obviously, there's this huge focus on the economic crisis um, uh, brought on not least by the invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia and the knock-on impact to, uh, to energy costs. Um, Labour has described Rishi Sunak choosing not to go as a massive failure of climate leadership. Um, Sunak says he's 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 got to work with the Chancellor on the budget, um, which, well, I've seen analysts describe that as a, a pretty credible reason. Uh, it kind of is, I, I would say. Uh, they've suggested, you know, again, further green taxes may be introduced in the November budget, and that would be uh, as strong a signal um, or, or a similarly strong signal in terms of a focus on uh, the climate challenge. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, but I think I think for now we will park uh, Sunak and, and Jacob Rees-Mogg for there. They can go back to their mansions. Um, and next up, we'll we'll talk about some excitement over a big gas find in East Timor. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice live app featuring a personalized feed, and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com slash subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with Energy Voice. Okay, Damon, some uh, good news for the, the UK-listed Barron Oil this week. Uh, tell us a bit about what's been happening. Yep, Alistair, there's um, been uh, some yeah very good news for, for Barron Oil shareholders. Um, their their wholly un, uh, ho- sorry wholly owned subsidiary Sunder Gas, which has a, a PSC offshore East Timor, um, has recently reprocessed some old uh, 3D seismic data on the Chuditch discovery, which was uh, found by Shell in 1998, and um, they've uh, boosted their their expectations of 
of, uh, of the gas that's in place. I think the, the best case aggregate gross gas in place estimate has been upgraded to 5.5 trillion cubic feet and the best case recoverable resource estimate to 3.6 trillion cubic feet. Uh, the Chudich one gas discovery itself is estimated to have 1.35 trillion cubic feet on a best case basis. Uh, Barron said on Monday, this is materially larger and may independently represent a liquefied natural gas scale resource. Uh, the share price went, went surge. I was going to say bonkers, but I've already said that once in the show. <laughs> I've said it again, shouldn't do that. Only one bonkers per episode. <laughs> yeah, but the share price surged ahead of the announcement on Friday. I think it tripled from, from what it was at the day before. It's um, so yeah, it's uh, it tripled to about uh, thirty pence from around eleven pence, and um, this morning it was uh, around just below twenty pence. Um, so it's still double what it was uh, this uh, just over a week ago. Um, now a lot of uh, retail traders got quite excited about it, and they've been um, tapping me up and pestering me on Twitter, and I've been pestering them, and I should learn never to get involved in these these kind of debates on Twitter. <laughs> I was I was going to say, David, I was I've been I've been watching your uh, your interactions with uh, <laughs> various uh, cross investors um, and uh, accusations flying. Yes, yes, <laughs> I mean I. I, I suppose I kind of suggested they were pumping the price. I mean, I'm not saying they have the, the ability to do that. But what, what my concern was that, you know, it's a high risk speculative stock. And I, you know, I want people to kind of understand that things don't always turn out um, as they want them to be. But, you know, there was a high profile well drilled off East Timor late last year, early this year by another UK listed um, company, Advent Energy. A lot of hype around that. The CEO he spoke to us, hyped it up really big, and then it, it disappointed it. It failed. So until you actually drill, you don't really know what's down there. And that's what I was trying to get across to these, these my friends on Twitter, I should say. <laughs> don't know if they <laughs> describe themselves as my friends. But, um, but yeah, so, the, so let's go back to these guys on Twitter, actually. So they're, they're, they highlight that the, the Timor government is very supportive and um, Baron Oil has their blessing. Um, I spoke to the CEO of Sundergas and he said, not blessing, but they, they are supportive. Um, the, these, there's also rumors that majors are in the data room because Baron Oil is looking to, to farm out a share in this, this gas resource or looking for a direct corporate investment. They're looking to drill a well at the end of next year, an appraisal well, and they'd like to drill some more exploration wells, uh, 20 million a pop, so so they need some money. Um, there's speculation that E&I might be interested. Um, there's also, well, it's the, the fact that majors, the word majors, to me that sounds like big oil, you know, that Chevron, Woodside, Shell, those kind of names come to mind. But I, I, you know, I can't see them being interested in getting involved in something offshore East Timor, particularly as, um, you know, there's, there, there's, there's political risk involved with trying to develop gas in East Timor. Woodside has the Greater Sunrise Field, uh, which has been discovered in the 1970s. There's a couple of, you know, I think five TCF there. Um, that's ready to be developed as um exported as LNG but but the Timorese want a greenfield LNG export plant on their shores 
whereas the people Woodside, which operates Sunrise, say that's not commercial and any development has to be via an LNG terminal in Australia. Now, the Timorese would probably like any gas to be developed on their shores, whereas Barron Oil's plan or Sunda's plan is to develop to develop this, sh- this this gas resource if they prove it up in the next year or two um, using a, a platform and kind of FLNG facility similar to the small floating LNG units that Petronas uses off offshore Malaysia. So um, yeah, it's it's exciting news. I like the fact that the CEO is modest and he's not trying to hype up the whole discovery and he, he he's more or less trying to calm things down uh, i find so that you know there's a cautiously optimistic um if they find too much gas then i think they might have problems convincing the timorese to to let them develop it the way they want to develop it but but yeah exciting story i was tempted to short the stock i didn't i'm just going to watch i'm gonna thank all those guys on twitter i enjoy interacting with you and (laughs) and you you teach me a few things too so bastion of journalistic integrity there um well done damon um yeah i mean not being too familiar with baron i mean the you enumerate a number of things that sound pretty encouraging the share price jump the eni rumors um but yeah I, i guess to the ceo's point to get to first gas by 2028, there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, so I guess that's what's what's in his mind. Yeah, I think, you know, 2028 seems quite close. I mean, the, the fundamental story, and I think obviously why that these smaller investors and probably, you know, bigger investors, whether it's ENI or whoever, is that, you know, that's quite a nice resource if it's proved up and, and the reservoir's working well. And if they've got one, two, three TCF uh, sitting on the doorstep of Asia, um, where there's a lot of demand for gas and it's shallow water so they can put a relatively, I suppose, inexpensive kind of LNG export facility in, um, presuming the Timorese are okay with that and they don't want to tie it into their grand plan for a onshore liquefaction plant that will develop their local economy, then, uh, yeah, it's a great story. And um, But again, you know, they need to drill a well, they need to appraise it. And um, so we'll probably have to wait till later next year to find out the results of a well and um and in the meantime they're going to need to find some some investors or farming and um get the cash together but it, it's an exciting story so happy to follow it it, it strikes me obviously yeah as you say damon it, it it does sound like like an intriguing prospect i think you know there, there there seems to be quite a long way as as i think you you rightly pointed out between this kind of dream and the kind of the execution and the delivery, doesn't there? I mean, I think that first step, sort of drilling a well, you know, obviously majors in your data room feels, you know, quite, um, I suppose, speculative at this point, right? I think, you know, obviously that's that's a positive sign, but obviously it's kind of a question of actually who kind of converts that into actual interest. And then, I mean, I suppose just sort of thinking about the sort of the kind of inflationary spiral or cycle that we're kind of moving into, right? I mean, I think... Looking at say building an FLNG plant or, uh, or or some sort of onshore you know facility at a point when when the world is increasingly sort of turning to LNG uh, as a as a as a means to kind of get over this kind of uh, bit of a supply crunch that we're having, it's going to be more and more expensive. So. As you say, like it's it's it sounds like a, like an intriguing prospect, but uh, it feels like there's a lot of hurdles uh, before uh, before LNG starts 
perhaps flowing in 2028. Certainly. A long way to go, indeed. All right. Well, we will keep up with uh, with their, their journey uh, to 2028. Um, but for now, thank you for that, Damon. Um, and next up, we'll have some... Well, some damning words from disgruntled shareholders on uh, Capricorn's merger with Numed Energy. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ed, so, uh, well, even more uh, consternation from shareholders on this deal. Um, maybe just to recap events, if you would, for those who maybe aren't familiar. Where to start? I mean, I think, so, so Capricorn Energy, um, or as it used to be known as Ken, um kind of came up in the North Sea, uh, had sort of various sort of uh, exploration interests around the place, made uh, some quite good progress in India. Um, and most recently, in terms of what it was up to, it's kind of sold down its its North Sea interests, by and large, it's got some contingent payments perhaps still coming, um, and moved pretty pretty wholesale into Egypt, buying a package of assets uh, off shell with, a, with, a, with another local company. Um, and this year, the management team seems to have decided that they have had enough. They're jacking it all in. What They want to head off into the sunset. And first up, they thought we should do a deal with Tullow Oil, um, Ghana focus, that's sort of West Africa, deep water. So slightly different uh, kettle of fish to uh, Capricorn's now sort of onshore gas uh, projects in Egypt. It was billed as a merger of equals. Uh, they were all very excited, as you can imagine. Big news. Um, and But pretty quickly, uh, criticism of that deal kind of began to mount up. And uh, people were saying, basically, Capricorn's got a pile of cash and produces a lot of, uh, generates a lot, lot more cash. Uh, Tullo has got a bit of a debt pile. It's um, it's it's perhaps struggling to keep up production in quite the way it was hoping to. Offshore Ghana. Um, why? What's what's the sort of what's the rationale behind this? Obviously, it, it looks attractive for Tullo, but perhaps not for Capricorn. So this kind of built up over a, a, a few weeks uh, until finally uh, Capricorn, after having defended the deal for some time. Um, threw, uh, threw their cards down and said, actually, the old switcheroo, uh, we're not going to merge with Tallow. We want to now merge with Numed Energy, uh, which is a sort of a, a company that kind of came out of Israel with, with sort of various interesting prospects. Um, and so obviously big news, you know, from one merger to another, 
the deal seemed much more positive. The price that uh, NewMed was paying uh, seemed to be uh, seemed to be more attractive than than, than Tullo's offer. Obviously, you know the, the sort of the, as the year has gone on, the uh, the, the outlook for uh, energy companies has changed somewhat. Um, but so. New Man Energy now the the the, the kind of the new uh, new kid on the block trying to trying to make it work with Capricorn. Um, just as we saw with Tullow, uh, a number of restive shareholders uh, have now kind of come to the fore to complain about the New Med deal. Um, so uh, last week there was a company called uh, Irenic Capital uh, who said that uh, Capricorn should essentially uh sort of sell off its assets sell the company for parts and you'd get a better return on uh, on on those assets than that merger with with Tallow. and uh this week uh Palliser Capital which has about 7% just under 7% in Capricorn has also come out to say hey we also don't think this is a good idea we think we've got an alternative valuation that you know means that uh, Capricorn could be worth 315 pence per share which uh is they say 27 percent more than the new med offer so um palace has a plan obviously these kind of restive shareholders uh love making uh powerpoint presentations and sending pds rounds with uh very peeved sounding quotes um so they, they they've said that uh capricorn should Essentially, it's a quite a similar sort of a plan to to Irenix plan, which was essentially sort of sell down those kind of contingent payments uh, and just sort of focus on on that Egypt asset, um, reduce uh, GNA. So that I, I suppose always kind of translates to firing executives, um, and, and and just sort of working along as a sort of a, the non operating sort of joint venture partner in Egypt. So essentially, just kind of go hell for leather in Egypt. Focus on that. Ditch the other stuff, which they see as non-core, uh, and essentially they believe that could provide a better return for shareholders than this deal. Will will I guess the big question is: Will it derail uh, the new med uh, plan? I mean, it's, who knows? It's it's too early to say at this point. Obviously, uh, we have seen a number of mergers kind of fall apart this year, which is quite I think quite interesting and possibly quite telling about the sort of the state of the markets but yeah another 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 headache for uh, capricorn's executives who seem like they have just had enough <laughs> i bet they have uh yeah i mean so uh, this this palliser uh, capital they, they seem to be as you say one of the, the big kind of uh, voices against the the tullow deal um back in in august um and now saying this this also kind of undervalues and and doesn't provide enough for for shareholders. Uh, correct, I mean, not not to be facetious, but correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, this this deal included a six hundred twenty million dollar special dividend to Capricorn shareholders. Am I right? I mean, they're saying that's that's not enough. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, essentially, they're saying that's not enough. They're saying, look, you know, Capricorn clearly has this money on its balance sheet. They should just give that back to us anyway. Um, so, I mean. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're they they're, they're clearly um, you know very uh, worked up about the situation, um, and I think I mean it's quite interesting. That they've saved sort of particular ire for 
Capricorn's executives. Um, and I think that's kind of one of those things where, you know, when shareholders aren't beating up journalists for uh, pumping or dumping stocks, um, shareholders are possibly just like slating the execs for being, you know, sort of fat cats out of touch with, <laughs> uh, you know, the sort of the realities of the ground. So in this case, you know, they said that um, Capricorn's senior execs are getting something like $30 million uh, uh, from the deal. Um, which they see as, you know, sort of rewarding Capricorn's management. Um, I mean, I think so. The, I think there's a, there's a quote when they say that they accuse uh, the, the execs of um, chronic underperformance, pervasive misallocation of capital, culture of excessive pay, and track record of wasteful administrative spend. So obviously not, not pulling any punches, uh, rather like Damon's uh, experiences on Twitter. But they're minority shareholders, right, these guys? They are, they are. So so they've got uh, just under sort of 7%. So and then Irenic's got another sort of 1.5%. So it's, yeah. It, they 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 they're going to need to convince other people, but that, I suppose that's that's why you make the presentations and 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 sort of provide these, should we say, inflammatory quotes? Um, you know, kind of complaining about colorful language, Edward. Colorful language. <laughs> colorful language, indeed. Oh well, okay. Well, I guess we'll we'll find out what happens with uh, with Capricorn in in, in due course. Uh, it sounds like they've got some more people to convince. Um, but that's uh, I think as good a place as any to to leave things for this week, and that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you to Ed and to Damon for joining me. I've been Alsa Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.